Well, hello, folks, and welcome to We the People. This here is the American Soccer Podcast, in which you're going to get to know everything that you need to know about the U.S. men's national team. I'm Clayton, and I'm a rapper. I'm Ty, I'm a web designer. And we love the Nats. Especially when Bobby's here. Especially when Bobby's here. Bobby! Hey, guys. I'm Bobby. I'm not really, I don't really do anything these days, but I'm here to hang. Australian hobo, Bobby Warshaw. Yeah, that's right. I'm okay with that. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Welcome, folks. Today, I feel like the luckiest boy in New York City. I'll tell you why. I'm in the room with excellent analyst uh, and, and web designer Tai Fujimura, who I deeply respect and honor, and who I'm sure you've been following at WTP Pod on Twitter for all his insights. I'm also in the room with U.S. Nats truthful legend, at least U.S. Nats youth team truthful legend, uh, Bobby Warshaw, as well as author and, and uh, analyst and intellectual, if you will, even. So a man of many talents and a soul searcher as well. Folks, I am going to get to chop it up with these two guys for the next 30 minutes, and you're going to get to join us, and it's going to be super dope. Hi, Bobby. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. I don't think people know how hard that intro you just did was. That was really impressive. <laughs> like, I've never seen someone nail that nail an intro like that so well. Wow, Bobby. Thanks for he's, saying that to he's me. He's an actual recording really, artist you've, you've, and a Seattle yeah. hobo. Yeah, you've already like been. Never, I've been. I've done a lot of soccer podcasts. That was definitely the most impressive intro. Oh, thanks, Bobby. Damn, I can't believe it. I, I I feel so proud of myself. You've already big upped me before I could even big up you. So let me catch up a little bit here. Uh, Bobby Warshaw was born in 1988. Oh, what a special year for us! What a special year. Am I right, Ty? In Mechanicsburg, right. PA. Uh, he would play for the under-17 national team uh, after being a super boss in, in Pennsylvania and standing out. He would eventually be the captain for Stanford University. He would be uh, drafted in the very first round of the MLS draft for <coughs> FC Dallas. He'd play for them. He'd get loaned to, I'm going to do my best on these names, Angle Holmes uh, in Sweden, where you'll find, where you'll find the, uh, the, the pillar of Bobby Warshaw's YouTube highlight catalog. Uh, with uh, some, some epic videos from his time there. Uh, he would also play for Geis in Sweden. Then he would go down to Norway, play for Bayram, Honefoss. And uh, lastly, he would come back home, welcome home, kid, and play in the USL for the Harrisburg Islanders. Uh, and then, of course, he, he would write this amazing book, When the Dream Became Reality. Welcome to the show, Bobby Warshaw. Ty, Thanks. absolutely, man. Ty, uh, how, about you, how about we just jump right in here and get to one of Ty's questions? I know he's dying to uh, pick your brain about this game that we love so much. So, Ty, why don't you start us off? Yeah, perfect. Um, so, one of the, the key or, or most uh, interesting moments in your book is when you lose your teeth, which is on a, a field somewhere in the, the deep depths of Brazil. Little white pebbles uh, falling to the ground. Little white pebbles. Well, so, kind of the deep depths. The U.S. The, it was where the world. They played one of the World Cup games last year. So it's also really? somewhat familiar to people. Yeah, it was in Belo okay. Horizonte. It was. It was the same state, the same town, not necessarily the I same. Think the same. Really, yeah, I think it was the same wow. stadium. Yeah, I think that's incredible. Seventy thousand. Are your yeah. teeth still there? 
I mean, there's new teeth. I mean, they might be on the grass. I, I tweeted that during the game. I was like, hey, uh, Mr. Beckerman, like, can you look for these five little white If anybody white finds please? those bad boys. Yeah. Um, could use that, dude. You don't, know, you don't know how valuable your teeth are until you don't have them. God, that's right. That's yeah, right. I was thinking that. I was in the dentist chair the other day thinking about that. Um, so I just want to talk about the U-17s in general. Uh, and from, from the inside, as a kid... You you often dream of epicness, but it must feel as a 17-year-old that you are living epicness to be donning all that Nike gear and having chartered flights and all that. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, there's one caveat to this, right? It's that nowadays people that hear this show, they're like, is it, is it better to go to the national team or is it better to play for FC Dallas's academy or go to Arsenal's right, academy? Right. And at that point, it's all there was, right? Like that was the end. You were either on like little FC Delco or Supernova for me or the national team. There was, there was a giant gap in between. So there is no question what you would rather be doing. Um, so yeah, you felt like it was the, the mecca. And at the time, right, you think to yourself, if I, I think if everyone on that team could have chosen, like, would I play for Arsenal one day or would I play on this U17 national team, everyone would have felt more epicness on that national team. That's what we like to hear, man. We love the Nats. <laughs> <laughs> but was um, it douchey, though? Does it get douchey? Yeah. Do, do, do people get a little, uh, you know, because you're, 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 you're 16, the hormones are raging. I was the captain of my high school team, and I thought I was the fucking man. Imagine <laughs> yes. being Bobby Warshaw. Come on, man. It's got to be hard to keep it level-headed. It's super... And I, I don't feel bad saying this, but if you've ever met someone who spent their two or three years at Bray- Bradenton, I'm not sure any of them are fully developed human beings. <laughs> right? Like there's, they're always like being around all guys playing soccer four hours a day. Like at this like crappy little, uh, God, who's it? What the Bolisari, the Bolitary Academy. Yeah, hmm. man, there's, there's something very unnatural about that. And douchey, yeah. like, as I say in the book, right? Like, I don't think it's just, I will say this. I don't think it was just Bradenton or just residency. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but like the, the 15, the star 15, 16 year old soccer players are just assholes. You know, like they, they got to be just, yeah, like at every, and my brother no used to say, talks about this all the time. Even my brother's 35, 36 years old and he still says it, dude. We talk about the kids that were good when he was 16. He was like, dude, they were such assholes. <laughs> and it's true. Like, and I don't know if the chicken comes before the egg on this or what. Sure. But yeah, yeah like dude, part douchey, part just like confident and just know how good you are. And that is right. the other side of the coin you're referring to where you kind of have to have that mentality, which comes first, as you say, you know, are you a little bit overconfident and then you believe and you blossom into a better soccer player or is it this feedback uh, that you're getting from the world around you and there's there's not really any way to tell um i i my questions are a little less soccer specific but uh they're fun nonetheless hey in your book you talk about your 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 high school coach uh having a big impact on you and he had this nickname for you bubba but you describe in the book that the pronunciation is is maybe not what we would say just reading the word Bubba. So can you say for us how exactly now that we have a little audio file us. going on, you can you lay it oh, on us? Wow. How how did this guy say Bubba? What a question. Well, he was a, a former Yugoslavian national team player. So okay. he had that like and he probably and he smoked for many years. So he was like putting <laughs> Yugoslavia in the smoke, it was really raspy. And oh man, I've never been asked to do this, but it was probably something like Bubba! <laughs> Bubba! <laughs> 
Bubba. You know, I think I'm like I was embarrassed to type it because I think when you say Bubba nowadays, as I, you think of like you know somebody Louisiana. from Louisiana yes. catching yes. an alligator for in his spare time. Um, but I mine felt like much more endearing. Mine did not feel like that. I felt really cool having that name when I was you know 13 and 14. That's awesome. That's Anytime awesome. you can get a Yugoslavian international yelling at you, that's a big plus. Totally. Totally. And I will say kids now think their coaches are hard. Man, you've never had a hard coach unless he was, you know, came from the old Yugoslavia and like fought his way out of the country to America. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, that was a good experience for me as a kid. That's good to have, especially if as you say you were born on third base. It's it's good to be exposed to folks who maybe weren't born on first base and still uh, or weren't born on third base but still made it all the way around to home, so to speak. During that time uh, in your in your high school years, you talk a little bit about. I don't want to give away everything from the book, but this is a really humanizing and beautiful story that you tell about your high school friend John, who was on the swim team, who who reached out to you to help you to help uh, to have you help him with his soccer skills, and a high schooler who was well loved and and true truly well liked, but who did not ex- did not display any douchiness uh, as far as as you recount him. Can you tell us a little bit about John and and what he means to you? Yeah, John had no douchiness. Uh, yeah. Dude, it's just, I, I don't want to, you know, it's weird to talk about now because it was, it literally is something we didn't talk about for seven years. Or I shouldn't say you don't talk about it. Um, it comes up and you just talk about the memory and you send texts and send your love to each other. Um, but just some, as like a 20 year old. Pardon my, pardon the interruption. Just for some context right? for yeah. folks, John is no longer with us. Uh, so um, that that is kind of, I think, what, what Bobby's referring to. Carry on. Yeah. So, you know, as 20-year-old males or 20, 25-year-old males, and then the few females, like, it's just not something we ever talked about. So to write about it in the book, A, felt really guilty in a lot of ways. Like, is it my place to write about this? Um, and, and I talked to John's mom, and, and she said, it's it's good to finally talk about it. It's good to finally um, go through those emotions. Um, but as I say, like John is, you read about it and you watch it in movies all the time. And it's just like, he was the, like the best of all of us, right? He was mm-hmm. the best human, human of any of any of us. Um, so to have lost him and lost that, it, it was a real, like, dude, the world, the world lost a lot. And it's our obligation to make up for that, that we all have to get better. Yeah, so John was just like, you know, the, the nicest, the most empathetic. He was all these, we talk about douchey 16-year-olds, right? He was just like the opposite. <laughs> he was like kind and empathetic. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate you asking that. It's, it's nice to, you know, that was a well, well-asked question. Absolutely, man. Shouts, shouts to John and your experience uh, all, with all the ups and downs. Um, how did that translate to the field? How did that affect your time? Uh, how, did that, how did that change you and the way you approach the game? So, yeah, if we, if we tie it back to the youth national teams, right, I don't know if you guys noticed this when you guys were 16, but the best, and it, was still, it wasn't just true with me, it was true with everyone else, and I think it still is as I watch 16-year-olds, is that they just get let off the hook. If things don't go their way, they complain, they start and walk, they bitch, they yell at the ref, um, and it's just like they, they hit this adversity and they stop. And for me, when I went to the higher levels, when I was a freshman, I played with my club soccer team, I played with seniors. And I didn't do it there. When I was with the national team, I didn't do it there. But whenever I could take an inch, I would take the inch and try and take a mile. I would complain. I was that kid that that just, you know, quit all the time. 
Um, and then going into my junior year of college, I was still doing, I was at Stanford. I had a really good Stanford year career, my first two years, but I was still just a f- total fucking brat. Um, and then you lose John and you just like, see how truly horrible, like what real adversity is and what like real goodness is. And it's like, f- I can't do this anymore. So I went from being this like 16 year old prima donna star who would, who would just be a brat. And then this happens. And I was like, dude, you got to get your shit together. Yeah. Um, so it's good on multiple levels, right? Like on the, the secondary part to this is as a 16 year old with this truth about a lot of youth national players, like I was a 10, like I was packed 10 freshman of the year as an attacking midfielder. Um, but then this thing with like, with John happened and I was like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to be that like attacking midfielder anymore. I want to be like hardworking. I want to be industrious. I want to be so like that part helped my transition to defensive mid and center back. Um, Cause it's just like the kind of human I wanted to be. Hmm. That is really interesting. You you ended up a lot of coaches ended up seeing a lot of uh, very unique angles on your skill set, and in the book you talk about ending up at strike every everywhere pretty much from striker to to center back on the field. Um, one of the things yeah. that that uh, you know reminded me of was the Jurgen Klinsmann tenure, uh, and I, I'm kind of wondering even at the highest levels of the game. Are coaches still really looking at players and kind of making up their own versions of what that player is good at? Could this possibly be true? Oh man, you guys are really like gave me the can opener here because <laughs> this is this is something I actually feel pretty passionate about. Do you guys you guys Pep fans? Yes, Guardiola. Well, I don't know if we're fans, but. In an academic yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Let's totally. go with that. Well, what yeah. Pep, you know what we're, Pep we're, does, we're, which just makes... Bobby, we're Nats fans. We're fans of the Nats, man. We don't see Sorry, any I, We, don't, we don't have time right. for that shit. But no, totally. Yeah, no, Pep, Pep's the man. Pep's right. the man. Tactical genius. <laughs> we know him as the guy who kind of once wanted Pulisic in a rumor. <laughs> so let's, let's just talk about what Guardiola, what Guardiola does in soccer, right? You and I think of, like, outside back... Pep doesn't think of outside back. He thinks, what do I need from a player that's wide and farthest back on the field? What are the attributes that are most important in that sense? Right? Like, so where one person says he's an outside back, Pep sees a player who's fast, who's maybe good on the ball, who can hold the line, who can read wide situations well. So in that sense, and why is he the only one that does that, right? Why is he the only one that truly breaks down what is needed here? What does this player do well? Like there's, I think there's so many players out there who are totally miscast. My one right now is Josie, as I said on, t- on TSS. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we see a player and, and some f- schmuck 15-year-old coach <laughs> says you're a striker. And like we don't think about when that original decision was made. You know, you think about right. all these things. Like how many people have been in a certain position since they were 14? And we don't think to ourselves, well, who was the person that put them in that position? Uh so, yeah, like, I really actually value coaches who can break outside that mold and take the risk that say just because, you know, the 99 other people said that you're this position, I see your skill set, I see the needs we need for this team, and I'm going to play you in a different spot. Um, that probably didn't answer the question at all. I just really like going on that soapbox. No, no, that's great. Perfect. Uh, that does and, answer the question. You take the stance on the side of you, the, the coach should be allowed to um, reinterpret the skill sets of their players during the time that they have those players. That, that, that's what I'm right. hearing coming from you. And that's coming from a player um, you know, who's, who's played the game and, and that's your personal life. So I kind of trust that. <laughs> as long as it's not yeah. mid-combine. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you're telling me, dude. Um, oh. I wonder if that is more of a problem uh, in the U.S. or if that's more of a problem globally. And in general, if you could speak to uh, issues that you noticed, particularly in the U.S., uh, I'll say the pyramid at large, spanning everything from you know MLS on on through college and high school and all of that. Um, what are the 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 fundamental ills? of American soccer that are holding us back. Wow. If we're being held back, maybe we're not being held back. Wow. What is the fun- most, here's the most fundamental ill, right? It's that it's just not in our culture. When we're all done with school and we're done with practice, we went home and had dinner on the table and cable on our televisions and an Xbox next to the couch. You know, like there's no, there's no level of mechanization and or trainings and or level of coaching that can equate to just more touches on the soccer ball, right? You can't get enough touches on the soccer ball or put in your, you're like, you know, I, I totally believe in the 10,000 10, hours theory. The only sure. problem is that Leo Messi had 35,000 hours or 40,000. Like there's just <laughs> no amount of hours that Leo Messi got or Cristiano Ronaldo or Wayne Rooney got that can be accomplished just in practice. And as far as I know, as long as kids go to practice, go to school, even if they go to practice again, it's like not what you need. Not just for the, the just base level of skills, but – and this is an article that I just wrote. I told you guys I had just shipped off an article right now because like there's just this thing that has nothing to do with skill. It has nothing to do with like stepovers. It's just your, your relationship with the soccer ball, your base comfort and how you feel with a soccer ball in tough situations. And I just don't know how you get that unless you're fucking around with your friends playing wall ball or like – you know, kicking each other, walking down the street. Um, that I, I have observed that as well, and I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and one of the things that makes me wonder is, you know, for every uh, Messi or Ronaldo who makes it, there are 10,000, 20,000 kids who don't make it. I'm, I'm speaking in literal terms, yes. like people, kids who make it to youth academies who do not get jobs oh. and never make a yes, living. Yes, I love where you're going with um, this. So it, it makes me feel guilty as a lover of the game that for my own country, I would say what we need to do is get these kids to be soccer frigging robots and ignore, you know, ignore all of these other aspects of life. Um, whereas when I see your story, I see someone who had the opportunity, albeit late, to kind of become well-rounded and learn more about the world. And, and you did that partially because you had that dinner on the table and you weren't just, just, just focused on soccer. Um, so in general, do you think that the, the, uh, mechanization of youth development in some of these higher performing countries is actually good for society, even if it's good or not good for those people? I'm, I'm going to answer the, 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 the most important question in American soccer right now, but let's back up a step. I will say, when you talk, we talk about mechanization, the best thing that ever happened to American soccer was the mechanization, the mechanization of Brazilian soccer. Right, like now that they too have these fancy academies, and they take kids out of the favelas or flazelas, whatever they are, at age ten into the academies, that's the best damn thing that ever happened to American soccer. If we won a World Cup, it's not because we did anything; it's because they they changed something. But if we talk about winning a World Cup, like before we do all these technical things, we have a moral evaluation to make: Are we willing to find twenty three people that can win us a World Cup? At the expense of, you said, of the 20,000 that we had forego high school, had forego college, had forego homecomings and and dinner dates and movie dates. Like, 
especially now, like we talk about being the greatest country in the world. Part of the reason we were the greatest fucking country in the world is because we developed like well-rounded, educated, or you know, worldly human beings. Uh, so yeah, like as a soccer community, are we willing to take these people who love soccer and like sap away their life to maybe win a World Cup? Which I don't think we're gonna win anyway, but. So, yeah. Oh, you heard it here first, folks. Bobby Warshaw oh, doesn't think we can win the World Dude, Cup. Oh. Wait, what's the horizon? <laughs> Let, let's go in 100 years. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's true. That's 25 World Cups. We going to win this thing? Um, sure. Yeah, maybe. That's right. You're right. Maybe in 20, maybe, in tw- maybe 25 years. Okay. I'm totally just razzing you. I'm totally no. just razzing you, Bobby Warshaw. Nobody's going to hold you good. to that. We hope, uh, Ty and I have always dreamed of, hopefully, that in our lifetimes we can, we can see us. And, and I feel like maybe 50, maybe probably less than that. There is some small percentage that maybe we'll see it in our lifetime. It's worth rooting for, but there's well, no way me, to know that. Let me, hold but, on. I actually, I'm curious what you guys say about this. So what's the process, though? Like, is it the mechanization of academies? Is it really putting 50 inputs in and getting 23 out? That's why we're talking to you, Bobby. That's why we're talking to you. It's really hard to say, and it's difficult for us to say because we haven't lived it. So, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, of course, as a fan, I want to see more Polisics. I want to see even, like, more Kellen Acostas who, who came up through the FC Dallas system, like... I love that. I want to see that on a daily basis, but it takes someone like you, Bobby, to, and, and, and your book to kind of shake me out of that and think about that for a second and think, wait, is this really what I, what, the type of thing that I want to support? Uh, right. And it reminds me of you know, the, the struggles that NFL players go through with their bodies and um, you know, the, just the difficulties that, that we're putting people through essentially for a spectacle. Um, you, well, yeah, go ahead, Ty. We're, we're, we're all uh, about five years away from the real reckoning, which is when soccer's greatest show will be going to a oil-rich uh, uh, country that essentially paid for the World Cup so that they could stage it by using slave labor to create the buildings. There's not a, there's not so, a more so drastic example than that. The true moral reckoning yeah. is in five years. And I wonder, I wonder if... Uh, if that's something, you know, you, you personally have thought through and just like as a, you know, that's not even a microcosm. That's like one of the huge aspects of the, the, that uh, is the cosm. That is conflict. That is the, yeah. <laughs> between, between, yeah. Between making a good society and enjoying sport, you know, like what, can you, can you speak to that tension in this issue in particular? Mm, I can't, but I will say like it, one thing, one thing I didn't note, note in the book is there's a ton of world issues that, like stress the shit out of me and you have to figure out what you're going to do. And for, like, and my decision was just go super micro. Like you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Like what can I do like through these conversations, through the decisions I make, through talking to youth coaches, like I can't change FIFA, but hopefully I can change a youth coach here, kid there. Um, and maybe it's a cop out. Maybe it's like not the most efficient way, but it's like the way that keeps my bl- my brain from exploding and me like doing nothing in apathy. You know, but you're right. You should like, so you guys should point out like, yeah, you're exactly right. It is like the ultimate conundrum of like moral of soccer morality. What's going on in Qatar right now. Um, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if we can actually, uh, gain any significant traction. Cause we're, we, you know, we're talking about getting to those 23 players. We think about that a lot on our show. Uh, and we think about Mr. Polisic as being kind of emblematic of a, rising tide 
But I also think that you might have looked at the team in, in 2002, for instance, and you might have thought that there was a rising tide then. Can, can um, I point something you, out about Do you Christian think that we're quick? actually... Can I make a quick Pulisic up? Which please, is like more, relevant, your more relevant on your show. And believe me, like, Christian, give me the caveat, he's from my area. I mean, his dad, when I, I, when I was in high school, I trained with the City Islanders, and like his dad was the assistant coach. Mark, his dad was my favorite player growing up. He played for the Harrisburg Heat. So like, I'm totally on the Pulisic bandwagon. But like we should also acknowledge that he is by he is not even close to the best eighteen year old American soccer has ever produced, right? Like some of the kids, you can go through every single professional soccer player in American history can tell you about the sixteen year old or the eighteen year old. For us, it was a kid named Ryan Soroka. Does that ring a bell? If you guys were in New Jersey, he was a Philadelphia kid. Sorry, like, dude. Like there's just like no way a seventeen year old soccer player was better than Ryan Soroka. You know, um, at least in America. Like at least if, if so, Chris- what what. What it's happens? Just, we have this we have this litany in, in American soccer of all, of these flames that went out early. What happens, Bobby Warshaw? Well, it's like you acknowledge. You just have to acknowledge the the, the part of random chance. Like, why is Pulisic now the best player in soccer his, in American history? Because like he had a coach that was willing to play him at eighteen. Right, nine out of or maybe eight out of ten coaches would not have played him, and they sure as hell wouldn't have played him. Like after the first, like, he was okay in those first couple games, and we're Americans with blinders. But like, really, he ran hard, and like he tried to take people on. Um, so like, you just have to figure out, and like, who knows what's going to happen now? Like, if there is also an eight and ten chance that Dortmund had brought in a coach that didn't want to play him, or like happened to have a favorite right. winger, so like maybe he liked Pulisic, but like his favorite player of all time was a winger who he could get for cheap. Like, here's my, like, my partial story on this is, like, I'm the first-round pick to Dallas. They're telling me, like, you're going to back up Daniel Hernandez. A week later, they get a phone call that Andrew Jacobson is free, right? Like, that Philadelphia Union, like, is trading him. We don't give up anything for Andrew Jacobson. Andrew Jacobson's coach in college was as jealous as assistant in college. Like, all these moving parts, and all of a sudden, like, as a rookie for my first three years, I'm not second on the depth chart. I'm fourth. Right, I'm not equating my or third. I'm not equating my sort of Christian politics. I'm just saying like there's a shitload of moving parts to determine how much a player plays, and like it worked in politics favor. Right, we better hope it worked in like Weston McKinney's favor or all these yeah. guys. So anyway, like when we talk about part of talking about the World Cup, it's like let's just hope like our eight best players from here on out happen to play to you know happen to have a coach that believes in them. Uh, and that is one of the the keys that we've been discussing on this show. Uh, of the, the that that uh, if you elevate the reputation of the American soccer brand, that does allow opportunity op- more opportunities for players um, overseas, where currently we have the happen to have the best infrastructure for them to develop. Uh, now there's a lot of variables there, but for now the fact that there is all this media hype around the kid, I think, is making it so that Weston McKinney is actually getting a shot. I don't think McKinney happens if Pulisic didn't happen. It's a really good point, um, and he hasn't even happened yet. Uh, so I wanted to speak to that a little bit because in your book you talked about, um, if I recall correctly, you were talking about how uh, Amer- the American players in MLS will often demur to the team and say, I- "I'm happy to sacrifice. I'll play wherever." I'll do whatever you need, whatever you need. You know, I, I just want to be a good teammate. Um, and that the, the overseas players often might not do that. Um, can you, it, does that sound right to you? And, and can you talk about that effect and, and how that plays out in, in locker rooms? Well, it's not just American. It's just like when you go abroad, you become a mercenary, right? Like I would have much rather won an MLS cup than a Norwegian or a Swedish cup. Um, 
it's like literally when you go abroad, it's for the sake of your own career. It's to make money. It's to further yourself. And when you're, it's not, so it's not just Americans in MLS. It's like Norwegians in Norway do the same thing. Like if you're near your family, like you're willing to make the hometown sacrifice throughout the entire country kind of. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily just about Americans. It's about like internationals in general in any league. Like the second you leave home and you leave your family and your comfort, like it's, it's you against the world. So um, we're getting close to the end. Another... So let's have let, Ty. Let's have uh, one more one more Ty question, and, and then I got one more, and and then we'll uh, cruise on out of here, folks. Follow us at Perfect. WTP Pod on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's the way that you can help us most in our trajectory to the top. And a lot of things can happen to a young budding podcast. They can burn out early on if you don't shoot them reviews. <laughs> so hit us up. Got to find the right coach. <laughs> um, so one of the things. So so the book, you know. Everyone read the book. It's great. Uh, you talk a lot about these these sort of subtle psychological things that happen uh, that happen to all people, but how those play out, particularly as a as a young soccer player, and it's very interesting. One of the things that that I I uh, really took away from it was the distinction between the competitor Bobby, soccer Bobby, and regular Bobby. And that you had to discover that on the field, you can kind of be a different person. You can, you can yell at a teammate, and then as you're walking off the field, you can put your, your arm around the shoulder of that same teammate. Um, and that's something I've found, you know, even in my own professional life, um, that being able to separate that personality is really important. Um, and so you, you mentioned going abroad and, and players becoming a mercenary. Uh, can you speak to the, the uh, role of soccer Bobby in you going abroad? And, and, you know, whether that was something that, that you kept with you or any, any sort of uh, output that that mentality had. Going abroad for me was actually 50-50. Uh, especially going back abroad, I should say, when I went back to Geis after Dallas had recalled me from Engelholm. Uh, yeah, like, you just have to... From, so I'll, I'll narrow this down to my own experience experience. I thought that I had been typecast in MLS. I thought that wherever I went next, if I got traded, I would still be a backup and the team would always, no matter how well I played, there would have been viewed a ceiling on my ability. And there always would have been, they would have always been searching for an international to come take my spot, right? Like even if I played well in five straight games, it would have been like, Oh, it's a fluke or you can't actually do that. And I would have always been on the cusp of getting benched. Um, and I just didn't want to experience that. So I went to Europe to get a different path. Like, screw you guys. If I can go to Engelholm and then EFCO Gothenburg and then Nord, something like that, I kind of always wanted to be an all-star in MLS. But I thought if I could take that different path and without the previous expectations prove myself, that it was just like I was going to get to the top. I was going to go like the other side of the mountain, if that makes sense. Um, but I also had this super right. – I just always wanted to live abroad, right? Like I told myself in college that like I was pretty sure I was going to get drafted and like you obviously have these grand, you know, these visions of grandeur, but I was like screw it, if my career flames out, I'm definitely going to go somewhere where they're going to pay me to live abroad. Like if I have to go to the Turkey 4th division, I'm going to do it. Um, cuz I do believe if you have to get a certificate from a rabbi. That's right. That's huh. damn it, you'll get the certificate. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so my and that side, I think speaks a lot I think that speaks a lot to your your uh, your whole thing as a person right now is you have this mentality of like, well, it is the game, but it's also my life, and I want, I want to get something out of that. So, so let me let me live abroad. That that'd be a cool thing. That's a good way for me to grow. 
Yeah. And like you want a quick meaning of life comment. I do think that every. Please. I mean, like we make we make fun of Klinsman for his like going abroad and being uncomfortable, because um, Klinsman was a total schmuck, probably. Um, <laughs> but like, it, I do think it's true. Like, I think every human being should be super fucking lonely and uncomfortable at some point, right? Like, if nothing sure. else, to just like be grateful for your relationships again. To be grateful for the people in your life. I mean, I think there's a lot of things, but I do think every 23-year-old should be forced to, like, go live in the woods or go live in a small European town and survive and, like, not be miserable. Um, Absolutely, Bobby. I myself appreciate your words of advice about life in general, not just soccer, and I know that our, our viewers do as well. Let's close on a fun one. Let's close on a fun one. Uh, I want to know, you, you talk a lot about the intensity of this soccer psychology and that, that kind of beast mode, and you're, you, you sa- sounds, sounds pretty fucking serious, dude. Uh, <laughs> what, what's a time, what's a time when you laughed on the soccer field? I want to know a time, any time, when it was like a good, hearty belly laugh. Any single time <laughs> in your life. Can you bring one of those out? Can you rec- get one of those from the annals of your memory? Uh, yeah. it makes me kind of sad. It that can I be can't... in practice. It can be in, in a game. It first thing that comes to mind. Um, the, so there's like a, both a funny part and a sad part to this. Both involve us laughing at ourselves. We, uh, in, at Bedham, we were like, we were just on top of the world, right? We're this like small club. We're the smallest in the league, smallest budget. And we're just crushing teams. And this team who like had 27 straight wins comes to us and we fucking smack them. We're up four to one in like the 60th minute. And they're at a corner kick, and they're like, the center back is yelling at the defensive mid, and and I'm just like, uh, and they're yelling at each other in Norwegian, and I just started, like, I say something to them, I was like, damn, you guys look really fucking flustered right now. And he yells at me in Norwegian, <laughs> and, and my teammate is, like, laughing, and I'm laughing, and then, like, one of their teammates <laughs> starts laughing. Um, but the worst part is that in the last 30 minutes, they scored three goals, and we lost four to three. So they're like... <laughs> <laughs> like, so then walking off the field my teammate who was there with me who was like my who was my closest friend on the team we were just like fucked at the not good of plan so like we're like not even that upset that we just gave up goals like we just remember talking shit to them on this corner kick and we're just like god yeah we deserve that <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes it's so bad you can even laugh at yourself it's yeah. nice to hear that it's that it's not all uh dour seriousness ty any last thoughts for bobby warshaw before we sign off Thank you. Thank and, you. And everybody get the book. Everybody buy like this it. book. I, I read it in like two nights. It's, a, it's like I a crazy sleep. long title, nights, Bobby. Just, it's like three yeah, lines of type. It's, I made but it if shorter, you search, too. When the, dream be- okay, when, <laughs> when the Dream Became Reality by Bobby Warshaw, you can get that on Kindle. Um, it's, it's not a large chunk of change, guys. You don't even have to leave your bedroom. So just buy it. Uh, read through it. The dude can really write. You might, you might not realize that, but it's, it's totally compelling stuff. Folks... I very much like it when I find a notebook that I didn't know I already had. It's nice. It's empty. Maybe it has one page in the front, so I just rip it out. I got a brand new notebook. It's nice. Uh, I, I love it when, when, I, when I come out of a thrift store with something that actually fits. It's a challenge. It doesn't happen every time, and, and, I, and it, it can be confusing and ruin my self-esteem. So when I get a, a good outfit from a thrift store, it, that, that makes me really happy. And I love red wine, Barbera in particular. But I don't love any of that shit. As much as I love the Nats. <laughs> Let's go, boys! Bye, people. Bye, Bobby. <laughs>
<laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Yeah. See ya. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Yeah, you can you can record this. You can just like cut it in somewhere. Yeah, um, totally. I would not say that Michael Bradley deserves to be cut for his own ability and not cut but benched. But a like he, I do think he should be benched, preferably by Vanny, just so like he gets back to his basics. Like I think right now he's just too much on his plate. And having been that guy who was supposed to be the best player on a team in some of the Scandinavian teams, it's really fucking stressful. And like if you make a short pass, you make it, and you're like, dude, maybe I did not make. Like maybe I should have made the harder pass because my team, as the best player, needs me to make the harder pass. Um, so I think like he needs to be benched and just like, dude, chill the fuck out. Like, go back to what you're good at. Get it, give it, and like, don't think about too much. Um, so I actually wouldn't mind seeing him benched. Um, but, but two, yeah. So yeah, no, go ahead. But yeah, no, that's a good point, and it's not because uh, he lacks skill. It's because you want to see the best from him, and that's that's one way that you're saying a coach can do that is by bringing them, bringing bringing him off the field for a bit uh, to humble to check him. him. Yeah, humble him. Yes. Yeah. Humble him. Bring him back down to like take things off of his plate. Remind him like he needs to focus on himself, and that's yeah. when we we'll get the the best out of Michael. So two yeah. nice. That's, I'm I'm waiting on two. Did you have a two? Did you have a two? What's the two? Um, I do have two, but it's a little more. Uh, I actually do kind of just want to see what the team looks like without him. <laughs> Mostly just because like I'm a, it's this you, Bobby like a, Warshaw. It's you writing know, those right? comments. <laughs> no, it is. Well, no, so, like I would never be like the troll that like he's not good enough. But like just from a pure like non-analyst, not even like that I want to win the next game, but just like a pure entertainment factor and oh, conversation right. factor. Like I do kind of want to know what it would be like with like Roldan and Acosta and Nagby in one of these games. You know. That would be uh, crazy balls. Not that would be crazy. Like, people like us who are just like in this for the entertainment value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. just I'm always curious as how people like decide the different ways to do this. We did it very organically. We did the show. We basically would talk on the phone after every Nats game uh, as just part of our our brotherhood or whatever. Like that was just happening naturally. Oh, yeah, so. We're by the way. We're brothers. I got yeah. that. Yeah, I got yeah. that. I got so, that. <laughs> nice. So Ty, Ty had always wanted to do a podcast and brought it up as a good way to keep in touch because I was, I was no longer going to be on the East Coast. Uh, yeah. So we started doing it remotely and we started by just having those phone calls and recording them and listening to them. And we found an hour was kind of usually the amount of time we spent. So we just went with that. Uh, I don't know about you, but like a half hour show for us used to take like sometimes it would take so long. Like everyone has recording issues, everyone has like sound in the background issues. Like you never actually get. Maybe you guys are more efficient than than I was, but well, uh, Clayton dude, does the editing, you, bro. So he's <laughs> he has yeah, to, you know, yeah. I just tweet. I, do, I just tweet. He he does the hard work. <laughs> I do the editing. And I fuck up the logistics for scheduling. That's my role. Yeah.